All right. We're going to be looking together in the sixth chapter, and I'm going to read verse 12, and I'll read through the end of the chapter. And there are several interesting things that are in this text, and as I've already said, this is something of a concluding statement uh, related to what this book was written for, and it was written for a reason, written for a purpose, and uh, oftentimes when we're studying the Bible, if we understand what a book was written for, uh, it helps us to understand the book a whole lot better. And that's the case with the book of Galatians. And I've already shared that with you, but it was so long ago back in the first part of the book that we probably forgot. But uh, in case you did, I'll be sharing that uh, with you again. There are three uh, false teachings related to salvation. Uh, there is the teaching that salvation is, comes as a result of some rite or ritual or some ceremony. And there are uh, groups that teach that, not many, but groups that teach that, that our salvation has to do with our participation in some kind of ritual or ceremony or whatever. And we don't teach that. We do not teach that at all. And of course the book of Galatians was written about that. And then uh, there is some that teach that salvation is by works. Or salvation is by grace. And then salvation is by works. And um, the false part is that even those that teach, there are some that teach salvation by grace, and it don't matter how you live your life. It just doesn't matter. And that's called antinomianism, uh, that belief system, and it's very real. There are those who believe that and who teach that. And so uh, there, there are some that teach salvation by grace plus works, that there's something that you have to do that adds to that grace. And of course, that's what this book is about. Now, I'll pick up reading in verse number 12. And here's what Paul said. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised. Only lest they uh, should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ, for neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may, uh, gl may glory, glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ... Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus, Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And that, of course, finishes that letter that Paul wrote 
to the churches at Galatia. And it wasn't one church, it was all the churches in that province, in that area. And so uh, those churches were established, and then along comes some people teaching the wrong thing that followed that. And that's what happened in the province of Galatia to these churches that were there. So this book was written to them to address that. Now the first thing I want to comment on is uh, a subject that should not be. It should not even be. In other words, uh, what Paul is saying to them about circumcision should not be a subject that is discussed at this particular point in time because it was no more. It was no more to be addressed. Now, this started out, I was thinking about this this afternoon. I don't think all the years of preaching that I've ever actually addressed that subject because it's not something that you, I I don't think you want to talk about a whole lot in a mixed crowd, you know, but it's something that is addressed here and should be thought about, should be considered or what have you. And uh, so I'll share a little bit about where this come from, where this started or whatever, and how it was practiced. There was a covenant that God established with Abraham. And if you will turn with me back to the book of Genesis and chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17, and I'll share with you a little bit uh, from this. And I think it's important that we understand uh, what that is. So in this chapter... Uh, Abraham is called Abram, and God's going to change his name, or change the way it's pronounced. And it says, I'll pick up reading in verse number 9, And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant therefore, thou and thy seed after thee, in their generations. And this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee, uh, every man child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that, and he that is eight days old, and you may remember, that Jesus himself, when he was eight days old, he followed through this, this Old Testament practice, shall be circumcised among you, and every man child in your generation, he that is born in the house, or bought with money of a, a stranger which is not thy seed, he that is born in thy house, and he that is brought with money, must needs be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh. The subject matter is a covenant here between God and his people, the Jews, Israel. It was not a covenant that was made with any other people, just the Jews, just God's people. And reading through the Old Testament, it becomes obvious to anybody who studies the Old Testament that everybody else was excluded from this covenant that God made. So there are two covenants. There's a covenant that's here in the Old Testament with God's people, Israel. And then there's the new covenant that we are under, that we read about primarily in the book of Hebrews. 
And it says in verse 14, And the uncircumcised man-child whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from the people, and for he hath broken my covenant. And let's see, there's another uh, statement here. In the 23rd verse, And Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all that was born in his house, and all that were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the selfsame day as God had said unto him. And Abraham was ninety years old and nine. He was ninety-nine years old when this took place. Uh, when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the selfsame day was Abraham circumcised and Ishmael, his son, and all the men of his house, born in his house and bought with money of the uh, stranger, were circumcised with him. Now, this is what the Bible says about uh, that, uh, that right is what it was. It was a, a right. And it marked God's people as his people. Now, like I said, you know, I've not made, uh, I don't never remember in the ministry ever preaching much on that subject. I think we need to understand what it was. When we get to the New Testament, we read about it. I think we need to understand what it was. Another interesting passage of Scripture is found in the book of Joshua, and it is in the fifth chapter, Joshua chapter 5. And uh, just a little detail re- uh, pertaining to that. Uh, the, Bible, the Bible teaches that um, what, when the children of Israel were wandering in the wilderness, and uh, all of that period of time that went by, they did not practice this. Uh, it was not practiced, and here's what it says in Joshua chapter 5. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites that were on the side of Jordan westward and all the kings of Canaanite which were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters, uh, and I'm going to skip on down. And at that time, verse 2, and that time the Lord said unto Joshua, now remember he's the brand new leader of God's people, Make these sharp knives. And I I looked that up real good. And it kind of helps us to understand what this was that God was commanding. It's flint rock is what it was. Okay, so I'm beginning to understand just a little bit about what that's all about. It's It's flint rock. And actually during all this period of time, that's that's what it was all about. Now... Uh, so he goes on to say, make these sharp knives and, circum- uh, uh, and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. It's not saying that they were circumcised again after being circumcised, but he's saying this another time around because they've not done it. In verse 3, and Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskin. It's, that's the place where the circumcision took place there. And I wanted to point that out because of the fact what that means when it says make the sharp knives. Now, I want to say a little bit about this. 
you might you might be surprised. You know, in the ministry, I've been asked a lot of things. I mean, I've been asked a lot. And one of the things that I've been asked was parents of little boys who wanted to know about this subject. They wanted to know. And naturally, they would ask their preacher because of the Bible addresses it. But what's done today uh, for that procedure is not even close closely related to what was done in Bible days. And I don't know how to say it. Well, uh, in Bible days, now you you might be surprised, before Abraham come along, that was something that was practiced. I looked it up and it was practiced by the Amorites and the Moabites and the Edomites and uh, the Egyptians all practiced that. Now today, as Brother Moore said, that is the primary purpose of that procedure is personal hygiene. And uh, I now, now the reason I'm commenting on that is because I have really been asked. You know, I remember one man uh, once uh, come to me and said, "You know, I've got a little baby that's going to be born, and this is going to be a little boy." And I don't want to do that. I want to know uh, something about it. And so, uh, like I said several times over the years, I have been, uh, you know, I've come to research something and find out what it is and stuff like that. And so, what's practiced today, if I could put it this way, the difference is a snippet versus the whole thing. (laughs) That's the best way I know uh, to say that. And if you were to look up the history of that procedure, and if you want to know what the history of that procedure is, I can set you on a course where you can learn it and the history. As a matter of fact, I I know of a website, uh, it's written down somewhere in my study or whatever, that lays that out really clearly. Now you might say, well, preacher, there's not any reason for us to know all about that and everything. Well, there may not be. But we, we ought to know what God has done and what He uh, caused to be a sign of that covenant. And that is what God did. It's what God did. But I just want you to know that it was different from the procedure that is done today. When we think about circumcision, we think about the procedure that's done today. That's not what was done uh, in Abraham's day. It was not at all. And I, I won't say no more about what was done. I can tell you distinctly, if you want to come to me one-on-one and ask me about that, I will tell you exactly what the difference uh, is. And, uh, and, and so anyway, uh, now we would know, of course, you take like in early America in the history of our country, you would know that the, the pioneers and the cowboys that was conquering the West and all that, that didn't happen. And you'd be right. It sure didn't happen. And so sometimes what doctors tell people about what Brother Moore has brought up, uh, they, they'll say something, they don't really know what they're talking about, to be honest with you. 
uh, related uh, to that subject. Uh, Brother, I think I've said about enough about it, maybe, I don't know. But I just want you to know what God was prescribing and what what was happening uh, related to that and how it was a sign of this of the old covenant. And God was serious about that. He, when He told Abraham, this is what I want you to do. So if you want to know exactly what Abraham did and what Joshua did uh, and exactly what the procedure was, come to me later and I'll... I'll explain it to you. I'll explain it to you in detail. But what it did was, of course, just as uh, uh, any procedure that God uh, calls uh, for and requires of us, it usually pictures something. You know, it pictures something. And of course, uh, I think it's best described, if you want to look with me in Colossians chapter number 2. And, and there's even been questions related to, uh, if, since we don't practice that today as something that's prescribed by God, what is it that we practice today that is a sign of the new co- covenant? And of course it's baptism. Baptism is what we practice and it is uh, mentioned in the scripture together. And in this passage in Colossians chapter 2, I want to read verse 12 and verse 13. And verse 12 says this, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Now we understand what that means. We know, we know what baptism is about. We just had a little Elliot, I mean Eli. <laughs> I keep teasing him about me getting... I told him today, I said, Honey, uh, I've not lost my mind or anything like that. It's just got I've got Elliot and Eli and Elijah all crammed in my head. And when I open my mouth, sometimes what I'm thinking don't come out. <laughs> That's bad, but it happens. But it goes on in the next verse. It says, And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. Now, when, when, that verse, that verse. let me read that verse again. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He's not talking about that right of circumcision as the Bible's talking about there. They, he's talking about something altogether different. I won't get to it tonight. I'll, I'll address this passage of Scripture again next Sunday night, and I won't be telling you nothing about circumcision. I'll just be uh, taking that and going and running with it. And uh, But it talks about here, uh, quickened, forgiving all your trespasses, blotting out the handwritings, the ordinances that was against you, which were contrary to us, and took them out of the way, nailed them to the cross. And so, baptism and circumcision, as was prescribed in the Old Testament... They run parallel to one another, but they are different for, they represented two different covenants altogether. And so that symbolism is here. They're representing put away, putting away of the flesh. So there was a picture that was in that. And uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say more about it. It related to this passage of Scripture because there's more that is said here uh, related to that. And the next, that was verse 12. 
And here's what he says, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should uh, suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. And he says here in verse 13, For neither they themselves who were circumcised keep the law, but desire that you be circumcised, that they may glory in your flesh. That they may glory in your flesh. So this passage of Scripture here is something that we've studied in this book already. But there was a group of people, and this is pretty serious, because I've always believed when you address the subject of how God saves a sinner, you better get it right. The Bible doesn't permit us to get that wrong. And so these, this group of people that's addressed in this book, they're called Judaizers. Judaizers and who they were. And of course in our passage of Scripture, there's something interesting here because it, it, it uh, addresses the Judaizers and then you come over to the 16th verse of that. And he says this, As many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. Now that's an interesting statement that's made in the New Testament. There is a group of people that are called the Israel of God. Now these these people, they wanted to be known as the Israel of God, I guess you might say. But they weren't. They were not. Who they were, they were Jews that had uh, believed and been involved in Judaism and they were circumcised and they believed in keeping the law to be justified before God. That's what they believed. And when Paul and Peter, for example, came along and they were preaching the gospel and especially Paul establishing churches uh, in his missionary journeys and preaching the gospel to those people, and talking to them about how God saves the sinner, and uh, addressing this subject, he didn't tell them to be circumcised. Paul didn't. That wasn't part of the gospel message. It's not part of the gospel message today. What he would talk to them about was how God saves the sinner. But these people were believing Jews, they had believed on Christ, but what they did, what they were doing, is they were teaching people that in order to qualify for salvation, you've got to become a Jew first. You have to convert to this belief system. That's what they were teaching people. They came along behind Paul and was teaching these churches in Galatia that very thing that they all needed to be circumcised and keep the law. It's what they were teaching people. In other words, adding to salvation by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's what we believe today. That's what I preach. And that's how God saves people. He doesn't, we believe in salvation by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ, plus nothing and minus nothing. You can't add anything to it and you can't take anything away from it. You say, preacher, I agree with you. I believe that's the gospel truth. Well, here you had a group of people who were doing something altogether different. And they were teaching people you had to be circumcised, but it wasn't just that. It was the keeping of the law. In other words, 
they, uh, they were uh, saying that you had to be uh, a Jew, you had to convert to Judaism before you qualified to be saved. That's what they were, that's what they were teaching. In other words, you must become a Jew to qualify. And isn't that something? Well, I tell you what, that was serious business. And Paul addresses that uh, in there. In other words, their issue was circumcision was part of salvation. I run across something in my study uh, one time about does that exist in our world today? Are there people who say that something uh, is part of salvation other than believing, being saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ and not adding anything to that? We don't add anything to it. We don't take anything away from it either. That is what we believe, and that's what's so very important. And Paul goes on to say, these people that were teaching that, he says, for neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. In other words, the only thing they were interested in was these people converting. In other words, they come along and they said to them, what Paul has taught you is not true. You can't be saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ, plus nothing, minus nothing. That's what we believe, and that's what we believe the gospel was all about when it was taught to these people. And so, the book of Galatians was written for the purpose of addressing that subject. And you know, you say, well, preacher, is that prevalent in our world today? Well, I will tell you that there's a group of people who teach that there are seven sacraments. And the main one is baptism. It's the Roman Catholics that teach that. In other words, you cannot qualify for salvation without their baptism. Without their baptism. That is what they teach. That is what they believe. And they... If, if you nailed them down, they would tell you you're not fit for heaven because you don't have their sacrament. And so there are people that do that. They add to what Christ has already done. And so they're one of the major errors that in the teaching of the doctrine of salvation. And I've always said this, and I believe it with all my heart, I believe that if you get that wrong about how God saves a sinner, that you simply cannot get that wrong. You can't get it wrong. And in closing, I'll just read what Paul said in this first chapter. And it's probably some of the most serious words that you'll find anywhere in the Bible. And I've been asked, the question has come up, were these people really saved? And here's what Paul said in verse Number six, when he was writing to these churches at Galatia, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him. He didn't say that you are removed from the doctrine that I've taught you, or he said you've been removed from him. That's from Jesus Christ. 
that called you into the grace of Christ and where you've been moved is unto another gospel. Then he clarifies that when he said, which is not another. In other words, there's not another gospel. There's only one. Only one gospel. Which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now, I'm firm in my belief about that, that you can pervert the gospel of Christ. And I believe that it is done, has been done all through history. But he goes on to say in verse 8, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you uh, than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. That word accursed means let him be damned. That's exactly what that means in the Greek. And when he said it, he turned around and said, and we said before, so we say it now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. So if you ask me were they saved, I'd have to tell you that they're not based on what Paul said here about that. And um, I heard somebody make a remark not long ago about a group of people and said, we need to quit calling them another denomination because they're another religion. And it was true. It was true. So we've got to get that right. Got to get that right. And so we'll conclude now. And I hope that you have enjoyed your lesson on circumcision. <laughs> but I never, I never addressed it. And I didn't address it much tonight. But like I said... If you want to know more about that procedure, you come and ask me because uh, I have been forced over the years. And you would think that's not, wouldn't be unusual because there are, have been parents and many of them that didn't want that procedure done. And so they had good reason. And uh, of course, I shared with them the history of it and and maybe I know more about it than doctors know about it. Maybe. <laughs> I've known, heard from doctors that didn't know what the Bible said about it, of course. So, Father, we thank you and praise you for this privilege we've had to study from this portion of Scripture. We thank you for the book of Galatians. We thank you for what we've learned. And we thank you, O oh Lord, uh, for the wonderful blessings that have come from it. And I pray that you'd help us to dig even deeper some of the things that are stated in this precious book. Now bless us tonight as we come to the close of this service. And Lord, as we sing a closing number, that you would, if there's someone who needs to make a profession of faith or renew commitments that they've made to you or whatever the need might be, that you would bless us with those commitments and decisions. In Jesus' name and for his sake we pray. Amen. Now would you stand with me now while... Brother Larry, oh, he's standing right here while Brother Larry leads us in a closing number.